Well, it's a privilege and an honor to welcome you again to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School lesson. And uh, we're going to, uh, because we missed a Sunday due to weather, we're shifting everything down. So this is the one that's going to be presented on February the 20th of 2022. And the uh, question that we're answering today is, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? What does Christ's resurrection mean for us? I think that uh, in spite of all of the people who come to church on Easter Sunday, my dad used to say they have their religious hiccup on Christmas and Easter. Um, in spite of the people that feel like they ought to, you know, get up and go to church because it's Easter Sunday, you might be surprised how many of them have really no earthly idea about what the holiday is even for or why we go to church or what's going on. I was watching somebody that did a, a survey at um, a university in Georgia. Uh, Georgia is about as Bible Belt as, as we are. And uh, it's the home of the Southern Baptist Convention. It all started in Georgia in 1845. So, uh, our denomination is deeply rooted in that state. So you would expect that when they would survey people about what does Easter mean, that uh, you'd get some pretty good answers. Man, it was surprising how many people that claim to be Christians, college students especially, claim to be Christians, went to church on Easter and had no idea what, would, what it was about or a very shallow idea about what it really is. Well, I got to thinking about it. We might be a little bit surprised if we were to ask our own children, whether they're adult children or college-age children or teenagers, to really explain it. We might be surprised at how little they know about it, and that's because we make assumptions all the time. Let me give you an illustration of that. In our family... A few years ago, when our kids were still at home, we had uh, Papa Sam at one time and Mama Lou at another time come over to our house and said, we would like for you just to share your testimony with our kids. Do you know what both of them said in response to that? Oh, they already know all that. Well, the truth of the matter was they didn't know that. We had asked them and they wanted to know what their granny and Papa's testimony was. And um, what happens is we think that people know because we've said it, we've talked about it, but just like that testimony thing, if you share some of those things when the children aren't really listening or aren't really interested, you think you've told them, but the truth is they didn't really get it. And so uh, my kids enjoyed hearing their testimonies when they got a little older and it was an intentional thing. And I think that holidays and church traditions kind of, we just assume that our children know about it. We assume everybody knows that. And the truth of the matter is they don't. And so when we go through this today, please don't just shut it off as, ah, everybody knows that and I know that. This is not really about you. I, I know you do as a teacher. But this is about that new believer that may be in your class. This is about that person who maybe didn't grow up 
in a denomination like ours. Maybe they grew up in a liberal denomination. Maybe they don't have any church background at all. And they're just going along with what we do, but they don't really know why. So let's take time to make sure, number one, that we really understand it because it's a very wonderful and rich thing to think about. It's the cornerstone of our faith, by the way. And um, also to maybe teach somebody who doesn't know it fully. Maybe they're kind of like um, Apollos. You remember him in the book of Acts, that he was mighty in the scriptures, but he didn't really understand Christ and the gospel. And so Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside and they explained the word of the Lord to him in a more accurate way. And uh, he gets saved. And boy, was he ever a powerful man of God. Well, I think that our churches are probably uh, filled with people who don't really fully know or understand some things. Here's our chance. So the answer, what does Christ's resurrection mean to us, is given like this. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day. Um, they'll be resurrected to judgment, though. We'll be resurrected to eternal life. They'll be resurrected to judgment. First Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 verse 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that's a euphemism for death, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we think about that return of Christ for his church, and that's what Paul is speaking of there. And he doesn't say don't grieve for those who have gone on. We're made to grieve. We're emotional beings. We're relational beings. And when someone that we love dies and goes to heaven, it hurts because we miss them. We know where they are. As Vance Havner wrote in his little book, Though I Walked Through the Valley, about the uh, death of his wife, someone said to him, uh, Brother Havner, I'm sorry that you lost your wife. And he said, no, to lose something implies you don't know where it is. He goes, I haven't lost her. I just miss her. And that is certainly true. And yet Paul said, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. It's not wrong to sorrow. It's not wrong to grieve. There's a process we go through, but we do it with hope that the world doesn't have. And our resurrection is to eternal, everlasting life in the presence of God. The uh, lost world is going to be resurrected as well, but they're going to be resurrected unto judgment. So let's consider a passage that is really appropriate for this particular study and for Easter, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 through 19. Now, what we're going to do is make the point and then refer to the verse out of 1 Corinthians. So, number one, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. 
Paul said, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So when we think about the fact that they're tied together, Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours, and our resurrection is dependent upon his. And so if we're not raised, what was the point of his resurrection? And if he was not raised, then there is absolutely no hope for us. The book of Hebrews calls him the captain of our salvation. And the word captain in the Greek can literally be translated a trailblazer of our salvation. He's the captain who leads the way from earth to heaven and eternal life. So if there is no resurrected Christ, then there's no captain, there's no trailblazer. And if there's no trailblazer, then we can't go because Jesus indeed is the way and the truth and the life. Someone said, without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. And without the life, there's no living. That's exactly right. So Jesus' resurrection is the basis for ours. Now I'm going to make some subpoints under these verses with some other scripture as well. So if you like a lot of scripture, buckle up. You're going to get it. Jesus' resurrection is indeed the basis for ours. This is still under point number one. Second, <coughs> excuse me, Second Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So that's an amazing thing. They're tied together, and the one who raised Christ is going to raise us. Isn't that good? And the resurrection of all humans, we've already made reference to this, believers receive a glorified body when they are resurrected and live forever in the new heaven. But the lost are resurrected to stand before a risen Jesus in judgment. These verses that we're going to read now are rather chilling. Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. I wonder where they went. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And in Revelation 20, 14 and 15, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So resurrection is for everyone. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection as believers into heaven. <clears throat> but understand too, every lost person that you know and every lost person that has ever lived is also going to be resurrected to stand before in terror the resurrected Christ who will be their judge and will sentence them to an eternity in the lake of fire. That kind of makes you want to pray. 
for lost people. That kind of makes you want to live an exemplary life in front of lost people. It kind of makes you want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can witness in power to lost people. Kind of makes you want to be a more faithful believer when you really think about that and think about it in terms of people that you know and people that you love as well as those you don't know. Uh, They're all headed to the same place apart from Christ. We're ready for point two now. As we uh, continue in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus' resurrection makes our Christian faith valid. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. When we think about Does the resurrection really matter? Yeah, it really does. Paul says no resurrection. Then your faith has been nothing but futility and you are still in your sins. That means you're going to be judged. It means you're going to be sentenced to hell. It means you have no hope in the next life because the cornerstone of our faith is the resurrection. It was the singular event that confirms that Jesus' crucifixion was the full and final payment for our sins. How do we know that? Go to John chapter 14, verse 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. He's making reference to the fact that you're not going to see me in a little while because I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, and taken off, and you're going to run for your lives, and you're going to hide. And then I'm going to die. I'm going to be put into a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, and you're not going to see me. But then you will, and because I live, you also will live. It's got to be referring to his resurrection after three days. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 If the Spirit, that's capital S, so it means the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now that's kind of exciting. The moment you were born again, the moment you trusted in Christ as your full payment for your sins, and his resurrection and surrendered to him as Lord, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. And Paul defines the Holy Spirit as the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can you imagine the power that indwells your life? If we could only depend upon that, live in that power, access that power, instead of doing things in our own strength and in the flesh and in the ways of the world. You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in you everywhere you go, in every situation that you face. He is there with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is 
the law because the law points out our sin and condemns us because of that or requires judgment. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope in spite of the fact that God's law would condemn us. Christ as our advocate can stand and say, the price has been paid. I paid for it in my own body. And he can show nail-pierced hands and feet. And uh, the Father accepts the payment of Christ on behalf of those who put their faith in him. It's not of works. It's not of performance. It's not of us promising to do better. It is all on Christ and all of Christ. Third point. Let's go back to our original scripture Jesus' resurrection comforts us in our grief. Is it okay to be sad when someone dies? Is it okay to feel the sting and the pain of someone being taken from you? Now, let's be sure we understand all of this, that grief is not all the same. It's a little bit different when you lose say a small child or a baby or a teenager, and you think about their life, your hopes and your dreams, everything you were expecting to experience through them for the rest of their lives is gone. And it's normal and natural for us to think whenever we have a child, this child is going to outlive me. This child is going to be like that arrow that the psalmist talks about that's going to be launched into the next generation. And when that is cut short, that is a painful and terrible thing to face. It, uh, you know, it, it changes all of our desires and dreams for the future. We may think about um, if we have a son and he is cut down early, we might think about the fact that he would carry on the family name. And that's not going to happen now. We might think about what he might do in taking over the family business. That's not going to happen. And we could go on and on and on. And the same with the daughter. We might think about the grandchildren that she would bear for us. We might think about who she would uh, is going to marry and uh, those kind of things. Buying a wedding dress and walking her down the aisle. Uh, all of those things just end in that moment. It's a very painful and difficult thing because our dreams come crashing down. But if we think about somebody who is older, my dad was 85 when he passed away. My mother was uh, 63 when she died. Was there a difference between them? In one sense, no, because they both went to heaven to be with the Lord, and we can always rejoice in that. In another sense... There was a difference because with mom, my kids were still quite young and there were things that I remember thinking about that um, kind of messed with my mind and my emotions a little bit. Um, when Taylor got his driver's license, he was backing out of the driveway to go somewhere for the first time by himself. And I was watching him, of course. And then the thought came out of nowhere Mom would have loved this. And then the, the thoughts and the feelings, some of you can identify with this, of everything that she wasn't going to be around for. 
that really, really hurt and bothered me, and um, it really hit me hard. Steve Elkins used to call those E-bombs, emotional bombs. Uh, I called them sneak attacks, kind of like Pearl Harbor. Uh, they just come out of nowhere, and there they are, and they just wreck you. They're hard to handle. I have not had as many of those with the death of my dad because he was 85. He was sick. And in the whole scheme of things, there was a part of me that says, I'm going to miss you, Dad, but it's time. It's time for you to go on. Your body's worn out, and uh, it's time for you to go be with the Lord. It's time for you to see Mom, and I have a little brother and a little sister that are in heaven. Time to go see Tony and Marlene. It's uh, time to go see your dad and brothers and other people that have gone on before. And there was just kind of a peaceful settledness in his life that had to do with his age. We knew it was coming to the end. We knew that it was time. And while we miss him and while we grieve for him, it's just different. And so when we think about grief and we think about other people, other believers, sometimes some of you get a little bit hard and a little bit high and mighty and a little bit um, maybe legalistic and you lose your compassion because you wonder with someone it's been two weeks since their child died. They ought to be over this by now. It's time to move on. Well, easy for you to say, easy for you to say. And when we compare people and we say, well, so-and-so, they seem to handle the death of their parent pretty easy. Well, maybe it's because that parent had had a long-term illness. Maybe it's because they were elderly and it was clear it was time for them to go be with the Lord. Or uh, as opposed to somebody else whose parent dies at a young age and they grieve over what all they miss and uh, their parent is missing in terms of our earthly lives. Let's be careful about those kind of things because sometimes we send the wrong message and we hurt people and we're unfair to people. And uh, it might be that when you get hard on somebody else, kind of with the what's wrong with them attitude, you might understand one of these days because the Lord might put you through it as well. So be careful. You kind of reap what you sow. So Jesus' resurrection comforts us in our grief. We have to have this feeling and this understanding that there's more to life than living and dying. And there is an eternal life that uh, comes after this life. I've conducted a lot of funerals in the last 30 some odd years. And boy, there is a huge difference between preaching a funeral for a believer as opposed to a non-believer. Now there's tears at both and there's sadness at both. And there is sometimes a sense of despair. I can't tell you how many times I stood by a casket and had a widow or a widower say, what am I going to do without them? And adjusting to life without that mate is very difficult. Some of you well know that. But it's far different when you have a funeral for a lost person and when you see a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife standing by a corpse in that casket knowing they will never lay eyes on that person again and they have no hope of eternal life. You say, well, yeah, they'll be together in hell. Yeah, but remember, hell is a place of outer 
darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. There's no fellowship in hell, nothing but loneliness and separation for an eternity and uh, the darkness that they're going to experience. And it's a sad, sad thing when you stand by someone who does not have hope of eternal life. So think about this. When those who have fallen asleep in Christ um, have perished, then there's a promise. The Bible says we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Now that's what happens with the believer. The body sleeps, the body sleeps, but not the soul. The soul goes to be with the Lord. The body will be resurrected later because God redeems us, body, soul, and spirit. We're redeemed completely. But in the time being, the soul goes to heaven. The body sleeps, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Think about Luke 23, 42 and 43. The uh, scripture talks about Come on, Kendall. What are you trying to pull on me now? Technical difficulties here. There we go. Okay, thank you for bearing with me. In Luke chapter 23, 42, when we uh, consider what is being said here, and what is actually happening. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the thief on the cross, right? You say, well, uh, what's the hope in that? Anybody ought to be smart enough to say that. Well, we got to finish the verse. And he said to him, this is Jesus, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in the grave. Now that's not what he said. Now, I've got family members who believe that whenever somebody dies, even a believer, their soul stays in the grave with the body until the second coming of Jesus. That's a heresy. That's what Seventh-day Adventists believe. But you'll notice here Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me. Where? In paradise. That's another word for heaven. Why? Because when we're absent from the body... Believers are present with the Lord. And so we're going to be in heaven with Christ and we're going to be reunited also with other believers. Somebody asked me one time, do you think that we'll know each other when we get to heaven? And I said, well, I don't know any reason why we'd be any dumber up there than we are down here. And we know each other down here and we have relationships down here and fellowship down here. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to meet people that we've never met before, like the Apostle Paul. And what do you imagine it's going to be like to be reunited with loved ones who have gone on before, and above all, to be able to see Jesus? And number four, the resurrection. What does it mean to us? Jesus' resurrection gives us boldness. The Bible says, if in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Look, if, if the resurrection is a hoax, 
you're a fool. I'm a fool. And the world has every right to look down upon us and to just say, you're pathetic. But if Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that's Paul's point in this passage, that changes everything, doesn't it? We have a Savior in heaven who has prepared a place for us, according to John chapter 14. We have a Savior in heaven who, according to the book of 1 John, He is an advocate for us. He stands up for us. He defends us. And according to the book of Hebrews, this Jesus who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father is praying for us. And he's a sympathetic high priest who comes to our aid when we're being tempted. Boy, it changes everything, doesn't it? In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul. And that's all this world has. Person with the most toys when they die wins. No, they don't. They lose because they leave it all behind. Someone said about a wealthy man, how much did he leave? The answer, all of it. All of it. That's why you and I are to lay up treasures in heaven. And that's why we understand that we are citizens of heaven and heaven is our home. And we are looking forward to going to heaven because we have renounced this world, surrendered all to Christ, and we may lose everything that's in this world. In fact, we're going to leave it all behind. But look at what we gain when we go to heaven. Someone told a story one time about a guy who died and he was able to take his gold with him And when he got up to heaven, St. Peter was at the gate saying, what do you got in those bags? And the man said, oh, this is all of my wealth turned into gold. And Peter looked at him and said, why did you bring suitcases full of pavement up here? And all that is is a silly little joke to illustrate to us that what we value here on earth, they walk on up there in heaven. It's a whole different set of uh, circumstances, a whole different economy that we are going to and we ought to rejoice in it. This world and this life are passing away. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Notice the difference. Everything here that man values, everything that people invest in, everything that people are proud of, everything here that people are staking their life on, It's on its way out. It's going to be gone one of these days. But if you have surrendered to Christ, trusted in Him, that is the will of God for your life. And you live your life for His glory and walk in His will. And guess what happens? You abide forever. Every human has an eternal soul, the Bible teaches. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his what? His soul. Why? Because everybody has a soul. Everybody is going to live somewhere forever, either in heaven or in hell. And judgment is what awaits us after this life. I feel sorry for people who commit suicide thinking it's going to be the end of all of their trouble only to find out that they face God in judgment after that. Now, for the believer, that's certainly different. But for the lost person, that's, they face judgment. Think about those people 
who believe in Islam, who think that by martyring themselves, they're going to get the, what is it, 70 virgins and all of that and face Allah and have instant heaven, not have to go through the judgment, only to find out that they face Yahweh and that judgment awaits them. For the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, the judgment, the judgment. And without the resurrected Christ, that judgment would be terrifying for all of us. But for believers, we don't face that judgment because we see Jesus as our Savior and not as our judge. And the resurrection is the Father's guarantee that the sins of believers are forgiven. Roman, forgiven, Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And understand that Jesus' resurrection is the only explanation for a certain change. What change are we talking about? Matthew 26, 69 and 70. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus a Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. The same guy that denied the Lord three times, a little while later in Acts chapter four, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why? The resurrected changed everything. Peter's changed from a coward and if after the resurrection, after he receives the Holy Spirit, he is bold as a lion. What makes the difference? the risen Savior who ascended bodily to the right hand of God the Father and sent the Holy Spirit back to indwell believers. So we wrap this up by saying the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Without it, our faith is empty and because of it, we have everlasting hope and we have good news to proclaim. So the next time you go out to the cemetery, and maybe you're there for a funeral or maybe you're there to put flowers on a grave or something like that. Will you consider the fact that there is a day coming when every person in that cemetery is going to be raised up? And it may be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when all of the believers come out of the grave. Or it may be a book of Revelation chapter 20 thing when all of the dead are called to stand before the Lord. But everybody is going to be brought out. And if you are by the grave of a believer, think about what it's going to be like when the trumpet sounds, when there is a shout of the archangel and that decayed body that has been buried and put away out of sight for however many years is going to come out of that grave and it's going to come out glorified like Christ was when he came out of the grave, never to hurt again, never to sorrow again, never to suffer again, and it's going to be an eternal body. Oh, the plans God has for us. Eye has not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. 
My dad used to say when that trumpet sounds, he goes, I want to be standing by your mom's grave. And I said, why, Dad? He said, because she's going to get a six-foot head start. The dead in Christ rise first. And he goes, and then I'm going to take her hand and we're going to go up together. That's a great way of looking at that. The cemetery is not a place to be feared, and it is not a place that marks the end. That is not the eternal resting place of the living. They are going to come out of the grave, and God has a wonderful plan for those that he has redeemed. And so the resurrection of Christ, what does it do for us? Let's just put it this way. It changes everything for the child of God. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and watching this. God bless you, teachers, as you teach this lesson. And for those of you who are watching to keep up with uh, what your Sunday school class is doing, thank you for doing that. God bless you. And remember, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And it may be sooner than we think, but our hope is not in this life. It is in Jesus who was raised from the dead. God bless you and thank you once again.